Welcome to Earthy, where eco-loving meets adventure living. Here you'll enjoy stories from people living lives based on what they love. If you're sick of depressing news, you're in the right place. Earthy is designed to inspire and teach you about sustainability, earth-friendly lifestyles, travel, and well-being. Your host is an adventure and lifestyle author, Shannon Annette. Earthy and happy July 4th, everyone, and also happy Tiny Movement Tuesday. I thought about taking today off, then I thought, you know, Tiny Movement Tuesday is like an awesome day. I don't want to give it up, so I won't. What I, instead, what I decided to do is share with you one of my favorite stories that I covered while I was doing Nomadic Tales. It was another podcast I was hosting, and I actually got to talk to two amazing people, Ryan and Nicole Levinson, a married couple, and they live in a tiny boat. They live in a 28-foot sailboat, and they travel the world. They actually um, were about to cross the Pacific when I interviewed them, by the way. Spoiler alert, they did cross the Pacific without incidents, so that's great, and I can't wait to talk to them again soon. But for now, I'm going to share with you the podcast I did with them for Nomadic Tales. But it really applies to this Tiny Movement Tuesday because they do live on a tiny boat and they talk about all the logistics required in order to do that. And I think it could add a lot of value for those people who might be considering that lifestyle. And for the rest of you, it's really freaking entertaining. So here we go. Ryan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Shannon. Yeah, uh, to let everyone know, I met Ryan a long time ago when we were both in the EMS world and we were working on the ambulance and um, super cool guy, had to hang out with him, learned he was like a professional kite surfer, a sup boarder, you know, regular surfer, he did all this stuff, the guy just charged his life and so definitely had to be friends with him and um, learn all about him. Right away he was telling me all about muscular dystrophy, which I learned a lot through him and how it's impacted his life. And, you know, he's been written about through, I mean, countless magazines because with this this disease, uh, instead of listening to, you know, uh, medical doctors who telling him, no, don't do anything because we don't want to accelerate the disease. You know, he challenged them and said, show me the data, you know, and OK, I'll give you data and I'm going to just charge life and see, does it really accelerate the disease? That's a really short synopsis of, you know, what I know about Ryan and his image. MD, but um, Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about um, where you're at in your life, a little bit about muscular dystrophy, maybe better than I can, so they can see where we're, where we're at uh, with you and, and specific challenges you might have right now? Sure. Where I'm at in my life right now, after that introduction, is deeply in love with Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> where I am with my um, muscular dystrophy physically, it's uh, an ongoing loss of muscle in different areas of my body. Uh, when I've lost quite a bit since, uh, you and I, you know, first met back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, now I can no longer hold my arms up above my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do a single sit up or a push up or, or a single pull up. Uh, I can't stand on my toes anymore. Um, my legs get really tired doing things like, um, if the road has an incline, I have to walk kind of slow and there's a, a short ladder on the boat. And after about four or five times of that ladder, uh, it, it feels like, how a fully able-bodied person might feel after doing a really heavy leg press. Hmm. So that's kind of where I am now. Uh, You know, I don't really know which area is going to go next or how soon or how it's necessarily going to impact me. You just have to kind of say, okay, I can't do that anymore. Whether it's, Hmm. you know, hold up, uh, 
you know, like I couldn't floss my teeth very well because I couldn't hold my arms up to my mouth. So I have to prop them on a counter now. So I just prop mm-hmm. them on a counter and mm-hmm. it's sort of the same approach towards, towards everything from sailing down to taking off a t-shirt. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, while, while you're having challenges, you know, with the degeneration, with those skills, I've seen you do some amazing yoga moves. So on the other side, you're compensating well. I see you're doing like headstands and I don't know what they're all called, but <laughs> you do some amazing <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, wow. So in the same post, you're telling me you can't do a push up, but you can do that. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> amazing. You're definitely figuring out how to maximize your abilities, uh, you know, that your body will allow you to. That's awesome. Awesome. No, I mean, yoga has been amazing in my life because my muscles are imbalanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, throughout the day, certain muscles are working extra super hard to compensate for the ones that are spe- that are especially weak. And mm-hmm. also my joints in, in a lot of ways are held in kind of positions they're not supposed to be in normally. So mm-hmm. by the end of the day, I'm fairly heavily fatigued usually. And you sleep for whatever many hours you get. And then you wake up in the morning and you know, everybody's a little bit sore tied after they've been working out. But for me, muscles are working out super hard, like all the time. And then when you add sailing and kiteboarding and surfing or whatever it is, it's just that much more pronounced. So mm-hmm. yoga started, you know, a decade or so ago as a way to, to mitigate that and kind of like, you know, not nearly the same level, but you had your back, but my back would go out from really basic stuff, largely because of this imbalance in the morning. And, and then, um, I started to that gentle stretching kind of seemed to help that a little. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, it developed into the yoga practice, which now I credit, you know, huge, anyone, especially people who are traveling and carrying, moving around a lot and stuff. And maybe maybe they're not great in shape. Maybe they're just fatigued from not a lot of sleep and weird mm-hmm. food. And, you know, go, go, go. you know, the misconception about, about yoga from the way I practice it is that it's all about you know, necessarily only getting stronger and doing muscle. Instead, you learn how to connect it to your breath and how to sort of stay loose and flow into these different moves. And uh, so it's, it's, it's almost more about doing things with less effort rather than trying to gain strength. And for, you know, some of my condition with muscular dystrophy, that's been just a uh, you know, hugely powering thing to, yeah. to have learned. So yeah. thank you for appreciating my amazing yoga practice (laughs) yeah i mean um, i can't do any of that stuff (laughs) that you're doing i was like like, wow damn (laughs) you know that's that's impressive yeah yeah you're you're always charging it you know whether it's yoga or sup boarding or kite surfing or whatever you definitely are an all in or nothing kind of guy it seems like can you interview me every day, please? <laughs> sure, man. I don't know about your connection on the boat. We're going to talk about that, though, logistics, you know, <laughs> from the sea. But, um, you know, I'm obviously I like talking to you because you're a buddy of mine. But also um, I'm really interested to see what it's like, like life on the sea, because I don't really know anything about it besides the fact that I start to throw up if that's my life. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Yes. So you and uh, Nicole have decided to take your 38-foot sailboat, uh, Naoma, and cruise down. Um, You're in Mexico so far from San Diego. And from what I hear, you're planning on crossing the entire Big Blue. You're planning on crossing the Pacific. Is that right? That's correct. That's awesome. um, Probably within a week or so. Wow. So this countdown has begun. That's it. Exactly. Now it's just um, weather weight you know yeah right. what's your what's your end game what is your goal here are you going to cross the pacific and then come back or are you doing circumnavigating what are you doing 
We don't know. Um, I think it's been my experience that the less of sort of a, a, a set schedule and so forth you have, the, the better it works out because you, mm-hmm. if you try to, at least in my case, and probably true for a lot of travel too, who aren't doing like, you know, the, the like paid cruise kind of thing. Um, you know, all you got to do is know generally what you're looking for in the big picture and then know what your next step is and then just keep taking steps. And, and, it, and, it, and when you look back on it after the adventure's over, mm-hmm. it turns out that all those steps were exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just worked out in ways that you couldn't have even imagined. And, and you know, to me, that's the difference. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're right. You know this. You've done, you're 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 an inspiration to me. You know, having told you the last few years, you just charged, and it's, it's you know to me it's all about kind of embracing the adventure, uh, you know, side of it, and uh, mm-hmm. and and like sometimes I wake up in the morning and maybe during yoga practice, whatever. I I think to myself like, huh, you know, I start getting caught up on like, oh my gosh, should I do this or should I do that or whatever, and then I just like that, and I just think like I can't wait to see how that works out. You know, <laughs> just yeah. Sort of, you know? Yeah. Definitely. So we don't have any answer to your question. The options, there's options. We can mm-hmm. sail from Tahiti up through Hawaii and back around to California, or we can continue on, uh, towards sort of Australia, New Zealand and, and you know, either sell the boat, which we really aren't planning to do by any stretch of the imagination, but it's mm-hmm. something that people do. Mm-hmm. Um, rich people ship their boats back or, you know, maybe continue all the way around or, you know, there's, a, there's kind of, um, it's kind of wide open. All we know is that right now we're waiting for the weather window to open up and then we're going to jump down to Tahiti area and, um, and then figure it out from there. Yeah. Just a quick leap. Just, just, just take that quick leap to Tahiti and then you're, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) no problem. Yeah. (laughs) So that's awesome. I love that, you know, you're rolling with the flow basically in the moment because, um, you know, that's just a fun way to travel. And I wasn't sure, you know, I mean, I know you have weather you have to consider, but, um, I didn't know because of like how much you have to pack and food. And I mean, there's a lot of logistics you have to, I'm imagining, um, you know, take care of on a boat and so i wasn't sure you know what you guys' plans were i just knew you were headed across the pacific and that sounds so exciting and you know when you leave the door open like that you have more opportunity to say yes like hey i have a you know place over at this island you should come visit me oh okay i can i can work that in and you know i mean new things are are you know that's just a neat way to travel Exactly. Couldn't agree more. You meet really cool people. Um, I think you've met some really good people mm-hmm. on your travels. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing that's kind of neat, and you touched on this with um, sailing, is that that's, you nailed pretty much all the concerns. That's it. You've got weather and you've got, you know, basically food and water, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the other stuff is, is almost a luxury, like electricity and, you know, and so forth. But but really that's it. And, and as long as you can stay, have those needs met, then, um, you can go pretty much anywhere you want, you know? Mm-hmm. So logistically, oh, yeah. Tell me what it's like to set up for a trip like this. What, what preparations have to be done and what creature comforts do you have? And don't you have? Okay. The, I should probably preface this by saying there's an, there's an expression that says there's two kinds of sailors, you know, because you list the stuff that you need to, to do to prepare and, and it's, it's literally endless. I mean, you can't, you will never be prepared to the level that, that you want in an ideal world. So what you do is you prepare as much as you can. And then when the, when the window opens, you go and, mm-hmm. and you just have to learn to let go of the other stuff. But mm-hmm. having said that, 
Sorry for the interruption. I lost Ryan at this point in the conversation. However, he was able to contact me via satellite phone. So you will notice a difference in the quality, but I hope you continue to enjoy. The way that we got to where we are is um, by focusing mainly on learning the stuff you need to know for offshore passage. Like that's different than just sailing around San Diego or up and down a coastline. Like you have to know how to be completely self-sufficient. So you got to know how to fix every system on the boat, all the pumps, the electrical systems, the long-range communication systems. You have to have pretty extensive medical, or you don't have to, but you know you should have pretty extensive medical. There's, there's the you know the systems used for cooking and refrigeration and um, all kinds of, of navigation stuff. And we spent the last two and a half years installing all of those things um, and in the process learning them very well, so that when we're out there, you know, thousands of miles from anybody who could help us. Uh, you know, we, we can have a better chance of being able to handle any situations that may come our way with mm-hmm. regards to maintenance or with regards to an emergency situation where we have to rely on this, this stuff and these new skills. Talk about a true self-sustaining travel. Yeah, it, it kind of is. You know, I mean, you, you do rely a little bit on the outside world in that we have the ability to download, albeit super, super slowly, but we can get, you know, weather maps and we can get... Um, you know, we have the ability to, to make long-distance phone calls by satellite or by email and things like that, but it's super slow, and you start thinking in, in terms of, um, you know, like, let's say somebody on land who's traveling might think, oh, no, if I need to make an e- send an email, but it's going to cost me this much money or that, you know, I need to find an Internet connection or something like that. But for us, we're thinking in terms of, uh, you know, to do a long-distance email, it's, it's usually done over a radio, but that radio uses a lot of power to send a signal that far. So we have to think, how much electricity is that going to use, and do we have enough solar power to make up for that loss, or are we going to need to, you know, run a generator? If we run a generator, how much fuel is that going to use? You know, so wow. you really start thinking, yeah, you start thinking in terms of consumables a lot. You know, how much water do we have? You know, mm-hmm. we have the ability to make water from the seawater, but again, that uses a lot of power. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything kind of comes down to, power use and fuel and, and water and, um, and weather. And, and it's kind of neat in that sense because it's, it's really simple once you're out there. But getting ready to go out there, that's when you've got the million what ifs and you're trying to do yeah. every possible project in this situation that there is. Right. Uh, but from what we hear, you know, once you're out there, you're pretty much just cruising. Yeah. Well, okay. So you said it's been about two and a half years of, you know, um, labor and love and, and preparation. Um, what, what sort of your system do you, have you built it down to like, Hey, here's the order operations and, and, you know, this is how we prepare food and this is how we plan how much food, like what, what does that look like? Yeah, it, it evolves and it, and it depends, but I would say like a, a typical passage you know, after a day or so, you get into the rhythm. Somebody always has to be running the boat. So when it's just Nicole and I, you're you're usually for us we do three hours on, three hours off. So um, somebody is up on deck, looking around for other boats or stuff in the water and checking to make sure the weather's not changing and kind of handling that side of it. And then somebody else is either sleeping or making food or you know looking at um, sort of the long distance weather and and navigating and stuff like that, maybe mm-hmm. fixing things. And then there's times when both of you are up there. So um, that's that's the watch schedule. And then at night, it's the same thing. So you sleep like a couple hours at a time, and then you're on for three hours, and you sleep a little bit, then you're on. And, um, the you know, only exception to that is if there's like a big weather change or you need to, 
maybe for breakfast, like, Nicole, we'll both be up at the same time, so I'll go around the boat and check to see what's sort of chafing. Are the lines getting rubbed raw from being the same all night? And she'll go down and maybe make some oatmeal or something. So, you know, in terms of schedule, that, that's how that works. In terms of actual process, the cooking is, is unique because the boat's always leaning. It's always either rolling back and forth side to side or leaning over to one side continuously the entire time. So all the stuff that you cook with has to be on these pivots so that they gimbal and, you know, water doesn't pour out, you know? (laughs) You have to kind of stand and brace yourself against uh, the wall a little bit so that that you're in good position. And then, you know, you put these things on the stove and you clamp them in place so they don't fall and then the stove pivots and you got to make sure the propane's on and that the propane alarms are working and, you know, it's just like this whole process to yeah. something simple like making food. Yeah, it sounds like maybe that yoga that you've done is is, is paying off with just trying to balance <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> Definitely, um, but with the muscular dystrophy, the the way that sort of relates to the muscular dystrophy is you're always moving, so you're never. It's difficult to ever be in a position where you can just relax and rest. So, oh. you know, you're always compensating and your balance is always off. It's like standing on a stability ball 24 hours a day for weeks at a time. What a you great know? analogy. And also sounds exhausting, but, you know, what's, um, that is a really great analogy. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to try not to think of it that way. <laughs> I'm going to think about that. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Like <laughs> but to put it in perspective for other people who can't quite, you know, um, envision what, what you're talking about, I think that was a very visual, you know, um, representation. But the first time I got on one of those, my body just like shook, you know, because yeah. it had no balance. But um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing that, um, I mean, you know, the things that you're, you're able to do and, and showing, I mean, you're such a role model for other people with, you know, uh, MD. And I think that's great that, you know, you're just, you're just pushing life to the, to the max. I mean, you have one life to live, so why be gentle, right? Yeah. I mean, thank you. You too. But I think that, I mean, especially people listening to this show kind of, kind of get it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, uh, there's almost like the us and the them, you know, there's the office dwelling sort of cage dwellers, you know, right. the people that want to go out there and do stuff. And I think that people who think like we do just find ways to do it, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, you know, maybe, you know, if they look at my story and say, okay, well, it's really difficult for him, but he's still doing it. So maybe I can do it too. Or whatever. Right. That's rad. But I'm inspired just in general by knowing that there's like a whole kind of tribe of us out there embracing kind of this, I like that you called us a tribe. I'm, I'm rolling with that. I like that. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. We're, we're, we're definitely wild and, and, and united. Yeah. Um, so, okay. How much practice have you had sailing before you, you know, took on this endeavor? Mm-hmm. I've been sailing pretty much my whole life at some level with my dad. He was big into racing when we were kids. So I learned the basics from him. And then through college, I taught sailing in little boats and then all the way up to like 24 foot keel boats. Um, I was actually an adjunct professor of keelboat sailing for San Diego State for a little while. Cool. Um, did that for about 10 years, and I taught at another school after that. And then uh, recently I was on the U.S. Uh, national team in a Paralympic class boat called a Sonar for uh, about one season. And um, so I sailed kind of semi-professionally in that regard. Um, 
then on on the other side of the coin, we've worked on and off on mega yachts, which are these super large luxury sailboats, mm-hmm. like around 130 feet, like six million dollar, you know, everything perfect and shiny and that kind of stuff. And um, I would work on those as first mate until right before we left, where I got a captain job on one of those for a little while. Wow! I had my hundred ton captain's license from the um, from the U.S. Coast Guard. That's a merchant mariner credential, and um, in order to do that, you have to have a certain amount of sea time and mm-hmm. a certain amount of, of sort of training and stuff you go through. But uh, you know, I've never crossed an ocean, so mm-hmm. all my experience and training has been coastal sailing. Um, you know, or preparing for all the kind of worst case stuff that could happen if you're crossing an ocean. I right. haven't had a chance to actually do it yet. Right. Uh, sort of a missing piece in the puzzle. Still, it sounds like you're pretty legit, especially on paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I am. I'm legit on paper. <laughs> right on. Right on. Well, I'm excited to see how this all plays out, you know. So how many days have you been on your journey? Oh, gosh. Hey, Nicole. <laughs> How long have we been gone since San Diego? We left on December 14th. Okay, so whatever that equals, you've been, you've been yeah. at sea and <laughs> yeah, uh, making stops so here and there. So we're going on about three months now. Okay, awesome. Have you, do you feel like you have a rhythm set now that you're kind of more attuned to the sea life? Or where, where are you at there? Yeah, you know what's a trip is that just when you get tuned and you're kind of, you know, in a groove and things feel comfortable, it changes right away, boom. Whether it's the weather changes or you're at anchor for a little while and then now you're underway again or you're underway for a while and now you're at anchor again, mm-hmm. constantly changing. And that's been kind of one of the coolest parts of this. There's a, a, a good friend of ours named Liz Clark. I sent you a link to her thing. She's a sailor a long time. She has this great quote. She says, too much comfort is costed. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think I find that's true, true. So once we do get into a rhythm and we're comfortable and everything's cruising along, that's when both of us, Nicole and I, kind of look at each other and we're like, yeah, we need to let's change it up a little bit. That's going to be something else. And, yeah. And that's when, we, that's when we move on and that's when the magic happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard that from other people, other nomads um, that are land-based, <laughs> you know, where they, yeah. if, if they're at a place too long and they get too comfortable and maybe their work situation gets too regular, then they're like, oh, time to go. Let's move along, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, looking for that constant challenge and, um, you know, a way to keep them on their toes and, and just growing in life and moving forward. So That's it. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. awesome. I'm yeah. talking to you about it because, like, you get all, you know all this. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, I feel a little bit like I'm telling you like uh, how to take a pulse or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I don't know anything about the sea besides it makes okay. my soul happy. <laughs> I don't know about sailing and I don't know about, um, you know, how to make myself not get seasick anymore. I didn't, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. A good point that you bring that up because that's a constant challenge that's faced out here is seasickness and some people never get over it um like liz that woman i told you about she sailed all the way to the south pacific and she gets seasick every time she goes out the whole time she was seasick but she still goes what and um you know there's ways you can deal with it like you can stay on deck you can look at the horizon you can wear a pressure bracelet uh-huh. then going down the list you've got you know both like these, these medications you can take that uh-huh. are mild and then all the way up to like scopolamine and then you even have you know fenugreen suppositories and yeah. stuff like that right? yeah. it's really really bad um, we have Zofan on board um, uh-huh. you'd be stoked we have like pretty much we're slightly more soft than like an ALS rig back in the nice <laughs> so, nice so, which is which is absurd but 
know, you, you, there's ways to deal with it, but at some point, a lot of times, it just comes down to curling up in a ball on the floor and waiting for it to pass, you mm-hmm. know? Um, hasn't really been an issue for us yet, other than maybe a little bit of mild nausea. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, it, when it happens, I guess the difference is, is you're out there and you don't have any choice. You have to deal with it, you know? Yeah. So you do. And, you know, and, and kind of knowing that, that that safety net is gone, that, you know, it, it, it's almost like you can either kind of panic and freak out and say, there's not someone there to help me, or... You click into it and you go, I can handle this. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and I will handle this. And that's literally your only choice. Yeah. And um, I think that is the unique kind of aspect to this that's largely gone in our world, you know? Uh-huh. But, um, not so much for the nomads. It's still there. But, you know, when, when you're traveling, uh, unless you're like in a very remote wilderness area, there's always at least somebody there somehow. And I guess we have the ability to contact maybe a ship that, you know, a couple of days away from us. So there's still, it's interesting, I guess, now that you mentioned it, Shannon, I just thought of this, but there's that unique perspective. Uh, like I think to myself, I find great comfort in knowing that I can make potentially a long distance radio call or a satellite call. And within a week, a ship might be able to come by and hopefully find us. And to me, it's like, oh, sweet, we're totally safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas <laughs> other people might be like, I'm in a town that doesn't have, like, ambulance service. Like, I'm in a remote town. There's no hospitals here. What? Oh, my gosh, I'm panicky, you know? Right, right. Um, it's, it's just a shift, precise perspective shift, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, for me, I don't think it would be necessarily, like, as far as seasickness goes, you know, need help from someone else. It's just the fact that I know I'd be in misery. Like I just, you know, bent over the side of the boat, of the boat, you know, constantly, you know, uh, uh, generously giving my genetic DNA to the ocean, you know, I mean, um, yeah, that that's definitely uncomfortable. It was better when I would get in the water, you know, like if we're going snorkeling and then once I was in the water, I was like, Oh, thank God, you know, (laughs) it's a little relief, but yeah, it's hard. What's that? We went, out, we went out kayaking together. You were great. Yeah, a kayaking never makes me sick. I think it's because I'm sitting almost at water level, like I'm on the water. You know what I mean? I never yeah. get sick. I never. The only time, so I never used to get seasick. I spent like four days in a boat in Alaska fishing halibut, and I never got sick. Oh. But then, and we were staying in like pretty calm areas. But then um, I went snorkeling in Costa Rica. And we were on this really tall boat. It was a double-decker boat, very narrow. And we were chasing these dolphins. And then they decided to cut the engines because we were right by the dolphins. And so... um it was pretty interesting because I'm videoing from the top deck and the, the boat is teetering left and right. And I'm videoing them. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. This is great. And I was like, whoa, I got to go. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> you know, I got yeah. so sick. And ever since then, I've, I've gotten seasick. I've even got seasick on a bus after that, you know, in, like in Latin America. But yeah, so. Well, that's, that's pretty much the recipe for, for getting sick, you know. Yeah, that was the recipe right <laughs> like, there. <laughs> It happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, yeah, I'm sure that it would be a super, like, challenge for you, especially if, like, you get your land legs, like, stay, if, you, if you stay, like, in Mexico for three days and get back on the boat, you know? I mean, wouldn't that kind of cause your sickness to come back? Yeah, absolutely. The, the thing that uh, is interesting is, for me, it's more like exhaustion that sits in. You only get to sleep two hours or three hours anyways, but now you're doing it under those conditions, so usually you're wearing your clothes, you're sweaty, you haven't showered in two or three weeks. Uh, you eat the best you can, but um, you know you're still eating the kind of food that you 
getting underway. And uh-huh. in the meantime, you're standing on the stability ball 24 hours a day. All right. Uh, and then there's these moments of just like, you know, that that's sort of the price you have to pay to get to these places where you can have unique experiences in the world. And, uh, and I think that, you know, we, we look at those uncomforts as being like really extreme, but when you, when you look back throughout time, I mean, it's only been last, you know, what, maybe a couple hundred years people have even had it really, you know, it used to be like laying in straw or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, our food doesn't usually give us parasites and maybe when you're traveling on land more, but yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, we know, we know where food is, you know, and stuff like that. So on one hand, it's physically, the physical comforts are less, you know, I, I can't check my Facebook, you know, and then some right. people would consider that like stream. We're getting on to the deep, the, the deep philosophies of sound, you know, I don't know, it's, um, that's, that's just the reality of it. And, and you just kind of roll with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the real big one was leaving everything we knew behind, uh, you know, for this, for this big trip, this, this at least a year now it's looking like two, maybe more, you know, year uh-huh. voyage into wherever, uh, you know, untying from the dock in San Diego and heading out. That was, I remember that vividly. That was a big moment for us. So this one, yeah, it's kind of a big moment and it's, there's some scary stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like we're already on the trip. So this is sort of just, a another step in the, in the adventure, you know? Yeah. And what part about, um, your desire to do this type of trip, um, inspired, like, I guess what I'm asking is what was the driving force that allowed you to leave that comfortable house? You know, your yoga practice, surfing, all your friends, a a really great life in San Diego. What, what drive, um, led you to where you're at today, ready to cross the Pacific in a sailboat? (laughs) Well, I have this friend named Shannon who's been traveling <laughs> a lot through Central America. <laughs> she sounds awesome. <laughs> She's amazing, yeah. It's such a hot day. <laughs> yeah. um, well, you know, I'm, 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 you know, joking only partly, really. I mean, I've got people like you and other people in my life who are kind of like, I don't know what's the word, resonate maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, like the lifestyle just resonates with me and I'm not you know, when I get comfortable, I, I feel, uh, almost stagnant. I'm, I'm sort of at my best when I'm out amongst it, you know, whether it was in the field, uh, EMS, you know, even with you, we talked about some of our shared experiences there that were definitely peak experiences in my life. And, you know, and, uh, on through whatever I've done with, with the different sports or, or, uh, other adventures. And this is like a continuation of that. I just feel like, um, you know, I don't always know, the end goal. I just kind of know where the next step's going to be sometimes. And even if I don't, sometimes I just close my eyes, but you just still have to take that step and sort of, it's like reading a good book. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm super into it now and I kind of want to see what comes next, you know, and the only way to do that is to, is to go. Yeah. And how do you stifle any of the fears that you're having? You know, you haven't crossed this, the big blue, you know, you've done a ton of sailing. You're already over 1500 miles into this trip, but I'm sure that helps. But, you know, do you have any, any fear that is just really kind of hard to keep at bay? Yeah. All kinds of stuff. I'll give you an exclusive if you want. Yeah. Um, Let's hear something that, I was going to get more into maybe when I got back, but never really discussed was like how extreme, um, kind of the anxiety that I used to deal with on a personal note. Like it, it, 
spiraled after a bad experience on an airplane Mm -hmm. and started with, um, this was about, I guess, 15 years ago, 20 Mm -hmm. years ago, about 15, 15 years ago, I started with not, you know, being able to fly. And then it led to, um, eventually to the point where I had trouble driving by myself even, or, uh, I couldn't go over ridges without feeling panic. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't be in a room with people without feeling panic. I mean, it got that bad. Um, and, and I, and, you know, over time and learning how to deal with that and understand panic and understand fear and understand anxiety, um, both through meditation and yoga and just, um, saying, you know, I don't want to feel that way. So I'm going to go over that damn bridge and let's find out what is it about that bridge and so forth and so on. And, uh, getting to that point, I, I've become very comfortable with fear, very comfortable with anxiety. Um, I went from, you know, not being able to, to, to drive outside of like a town or whatever to running jet skis on the big wave tour. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like, I think once you learn that fear, what fear is, then, uh, it's, it's much easier to cope with, with that and with anxiety on any level. For example, for me, um, the big, the big epiphany was when I realized that it's really all this panicky feeling was just kind of my, my body kind of like a warrior state of fight or flight. You know, I'm, I'm definitely a fight guy and Mm -hmm. I would, I would see this, this danger, this thing that I perceived as danger and, uh, whether it was danger or not, I would perceive it that way. And then I, it would trigger this response you know, this, this fight response, which the adrenaline and the heart beating and the, the feeling like you need to charge into something and, you know, and, and make a change and, and, you know, draw your sword and defend, you know, right, and, right. you know, and that, that triggers this physiological response, you know, you have the, the heart rates pounding and all the rest, and then you perceive that as a danger. So then, you know, this whole right. thing just, spirals, yeah, it spirals, you know, this, cause you've talked people down from that many times in the field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, once I learned that, then it's very, you know, not easy, but with practice, you kind of are able to drill down to the root of whatever it is that's causing that anxiety mm-hmm. and, and find that trigger way, way early. So for crossing the ocean, um, you know, the things that are scary about it to me were more to do with, um, you know, like maybe heat exhaustion or, mm-hmm. you know, lost our water supply or what happened if, you know, it's that kind of stuff. But, you know, in terms of like catastrophic boat failure or, uh, you know, weather, bad weather, stuff like that, like stuff that's, that's very challenging and kind of gnarly maybe like, like I'm really good at that stuff. I just have a history of handling that. So that doesn't really scare me so much as I, I feel confident, mm-hmm. although with, with deep respect for, for, you know, the fact that certainly it's, it's going to be challenging, you know? Right. Um, right. So for me, the biggest fear is, is the, uh, kind of like, like having time to sit and think and have fears and anxiety, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what you said on how, once you understand anxiety, um, you know, it sort of takes away, well, I'm kind of adding to it. It sort of takes away some of the power of, of anxiety and, I read something recently, uh, I can't remember the book it was in, but it said, you know, whatever you're fearing, 
you shouldn't fight and battle against it. You should invite it into your into your heart, or pretend like you're inviting it into your home as a you know as a guest, you know. And then when it's ready to leave, it'll leave. But like if you sort of let you know the things that come in and out of your life ebb and flow freely, you know, then you're not holding on to one thing. You know, I have to have this happiness right now, or I have to have you know, uh, and I can't have any sadness ever. You know, if it just if you just accept it, then it will flow out quickly as opposed to, you know, the constant battle. Does that make sense? Absolutely. In fact, that's probably the best, um, articulation is the wrong word, (laughs) the best way (laughs) I've ever heard explained the, what sort of meditation, the perspective meditation has kind of offered me in yoga and the learning to let go and accept and, and to flow with, you know, how you feel physically and mentally and, and all the rest. Um, so thank you for that. I actually really liked that invited into your life metaphor. Yeah, invited, was- invited to dinner, invited in your house, you know, and, and I wish I came up with that and I wish I could give credit to the person <laughs> that did, but I can't come up with it right now. If I do, I'll put it in the show notes, um, at, you know, nomadictales.com. But, um, so you, you're, you're clearly gearing up right now. I can hear in the background, you guys preparing for this trip. Um, what, like, what do you do for food? I mean, how do you calculate what you need? And is there like, is there a great book or a great website or, or some source that help has helped guide this portion of your logistics? Yeah, there's many, many things. Oh, and by the way, r- jumping back to the anxiety, there's also a, a healthy supply of the Prazolam on board. Oh, very <laughs> Just, good. <laughs> <you know. laughs> if it came to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but in terms of, um, of uh, provisioning, um, a lot of it is reading blogs or talking to people who have done this, um, sort of, we know what we eat normally. So taking that and multiplying it by, you know, 30 or 40 days, mm-hmm. um, stuff that's tricky is like fresh food and vegetables only last for the first part of the trip. So right. Nicole's been amazing at learning all kinds of cool tricks to make things last. Like for example, you can't put, what is it? Potatoes and onions. Yeah. If you put potatoes and onions together, it causes the potatoes to sprout more quickly and, nice. you know, nice. don't put citrus, ne- you know, near apples. Cause then the apples turn brown more quickly, I guess, wow. or what, I whatever. I mean, there's all these like little tricky things and, and, um, you know, you can store different stuff at different temperatures and, you know, and, and then you learn how to, it makes it last a little bit longer. Plus, she's become brilliant at, at sprouting. So mm-hmm. we have this little like sort of sprouting garden thing going on in the galley where, uh, you know, it adds a little crunch. So when you're like two and a half weeks out, three weeks out and all the fresh stuff's gone and you're going into the cans, um, and into the dried goods, you can still have pretty good amount of, of kind of life in your, in your diet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds great. Sprouts, shredded foods is supposed to be phenomenal for you. Sprouts are amazing. Fresh fish, mm-hmm. when we're lucky enough to catch some, is amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. And Nicole's super creative. In terms of how much to bring, it's uh-huh. kind of how much as we can carry. So we have, like, entire sections of the storage area just filled with cans. I mean, probably 30 cans of these crappy mixed veggies thing I'm giving 15. her. 15. <laughs> can. <for this> like <laughs> potatoes and carrot mix thing. <laughs> just like, come on. You know, but... But, you know, we have. You're looking forward to those, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not complaining. Oh. (laughs) Is Nicole putting you in place? (laughs) Yeah, she's she's looking at, she's in the galley right now making an amazing meal. She's she's amazing what she can do with this stuff. It's being underway on a voyage like this doesn't mean, uh, you know, eating just rehydrated noodles and stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have 
she makes all kinds of stews and casseroles and we have a pressure cooker and an oven and fresh baked breads and fresh fish and wow you know it's it's, uh it's not bad towards the end it's a little competitive but yeah it's not so bad Mm -hmm. oh in terms of resources there's the web and there's um there's some really good books um what's that one book nicole it's called passage making or something i can send you an email with yeah, that would be great. I'll, I'll add that to the show uh, notes, you know, since you guys have tried and tested uh, it. You said something that reminded me about, you know, we're talking about anxiety and fear and all that. Yeah. And I think the one closing kind of comment on that sure. is that um, I'm much more afraid of what it would mean if, if we don't go. Mm-hmm. Uh, this adventure, any other adventure in life than um, if we do go. So for whatever that's worth. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely a very deep thought. You know, a lot of people... Um, kind of dream about and romanticize about adventures like this and then they just wait and wait and wait and they think maybe later in life it'll be the right time and then they just don't make it happen it's not something that gets that just lands in your lap (laughs) you have to redesign your life yeah exactly and i think a lot of that is because of fear unfortunately Mm -hmm. so everything you said about embracing into your life awesome stuff that not to get a topic from your question uh, um, it's really a simple existence. You're just preserving your shelter and securing your food and taking care of each other. And you're not worried about the news so much or what's going on with, you know, you know, work or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, kind of keeping the ball rolling. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of neat that way. So I would imagine that you definitely have to love sailing to have this type of experience work because the work-life balance, you know, four hours on or three hours on and four off, you know, that's, you know, half your life more than, you know, dedicated to being on duty, I guess. And so, I mean, do you think that that's why it works out for you because you love it or how would you explain that work-life balance? Yeah. Um, we love adventure, you Mm -hmm. know, and, Sailing is something that, yeah, I love sailing, but I wouldn't say that I'm out here primarily because, oh, this will be a bitch and I get to sail for 50% of three weeks nonstop, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I like to go out and go for sail and come back a lot of times, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's uh, we, the, the sailing aspect of it that I think uh, appeals to us the most, and I'm sorry, Nicole, for speaking for you, so split me off if I'm wrong, but it's... um. She's in the background here. It's that uh, it's it's the level of connection that it offers you. So when you're around the clock trying to optimize the boat, and in terms of sail trim and balance and systems and weather and all the rest, you get really tuned into stuff. Uh, you know, like like really connected. Like you you notice the wind starting to change a little bit. You notice mm-hmm. obviously the temperature changes through the day. You notice the, how the wave start moving differently and then you'll see on this on the weather map that there's a storm far away Mm -hmm. you know so it has this connection to the to the sort of weather mostly of the world and the energy that kind of fuels our planet that yeah i don't think you can get any other any other way yeah Um, you uh you know everything from noticing the different clouds noticing the uh even little things like as you go more and more west you notice the sun rising and setting slightly slightly different times the stars moving to different places across the sky every night wow Uh, you know that's that's what 
really appeals to me from the sailing perspective part of it versus mm-hmm. taking like a cruise ship or something. It sounds like you're incredibly in tune with, you know, the most powerful aspect of nature. That's got to be an amazing feeling. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't really know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, if I could have like my insides resonate with the power of the ocean where the, you know, I could sort of predict things that are happening based on cues that sort of have become habitual. That, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it, it feels good. I, I think. I feel similar through meditation and, Mm -hmm. and, um, even, even a little bit when we were working on EMS at times, you know, but it it was more, I think to deal with like life flow and a human rather than, um, sort of, you know, natural forces at work. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you you get the same feeling like when you do a lot of free diving or something and you start becoming aware instead of just pretty fish, you start noticing certain fish, moving certain ways and it just instinctively, you know, Oh, there must be a bigger fish over oh, there yeah. or the current is changing or you, you know, you become aware of, you know, that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. just sort of that level of intimacy. But to me, I think this is sort of how humans are meant to feel. It's mm-hmm. kind of how it feels to me. Like it feels right. right. If that makes sense. Yeah. And when I'm sitting in a, an office or stressing about, you know, only like getting more stuff or, keeping the stuff I have or, you know, who's thinking what about whatever, like when I'm in that mindset, it feels very wrong and off to me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess this is just sort of, it makes it easier for me to, to be human, maybe to be, to be me, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, different ways of life, you know, have different paces and intrinsic, you know, like, vibe, I guess. And I know the yeah. first thing I noticed when I moved abroad to like Costa Rica, the pace was slower. It was more family and people connection, like centric, I guess. And it just felt so good inside. And so if this, if this way of life is resonating with you, then I think it just, it's just a good match, you know, it's like match.com yeah. you guys. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, you brought up, for not, was like, that? I'm glad you didn't say it's like Tinder. No, right? <laughs> no. Um, you brought up free diving. I saw some really awesome pictures of you guys diving next to a what looked like a whale shark. Is that was that right? Yep, it was a whale shark, a little baby. No way. Okay, you gotta you gotta tell me how that was tell me how that experience was. And did you just find it and jump in or like how did this work? Yeah, kinda. It's rad. There's I guess a bunch of whale sharks in the Sea of Cortez, so we were in La Paz and all of the place there were, you know, pay us money and we'll take you to the whale sharks, you know, and we found out kind of roughly where they were. And it mm-hmm. wasn't that far. It was like a few miles across this really choppy stretch of water, but we're like, Oh, you know, F it, we can do that. So right. we loaded up our, our little 10 foot dinghy and, uh, just charged out. And, uh, we went to where we saw these little tour boats kind of trolling back and forth <laughs> nice. looking, for, looking for these whale sharks, but nobody was finding them, you mm-hmm. know? So we're out there, out there, out there. And then suddenly Nicole sees a little fin and I'm like, don't point, you know? So she's like, okay. So we kept pretending like we were just trolling along, <laughs> you know, in the meantime, Nicole's like frothing out, getting all our gear on. And uh-huh. we sort of, you know, pull up next to this thing and she flops into the water and there's this, you know, easily twice the size of the boat, 20 foot plus fish, you know, like right there in her face. And, um, we, we got a bunch of dives on it before the tour boats kind of clued in and, and, um, mobbed us, you know, and then yeah. we broke away and found another one. And it's amazing. These like beautiful giant 
huge fish just just cruising they're just like hey they kind of they notice you they they'll change their course a little or change their mm-hmm. speed and sometimes they just kind of stop and sort of look at you for a second and they're like eh, you know and just kind of keep swimming on you know and, yeah yeah and uh it was really a, a neat experience to to have the time to be able to film them and spend some time just with us and them you know? even though you know they're not an aggressive breed isn't what did you have like you know, I don't know how to word it. I guess like a respect for the fact that you're in their home and they're huge. Like, was there any, you know, worry there? That was exactly the word that was coming to my mind when I heard you ask that question. Starting to was uh-huh. respect is the key word. I think if you respect any animals you come across or respect, you know, in our case, the ocean or respect the, uh, you know, someone's hiking mountains or some trail or, or whatever it is. I mean, little bit of of apprehension and i think that that can be channeled into respect very healthy way Mm -hmm. and um in fact if i didn't feel that slight little tinge of apprehension for a situation i usually stop and reevaluate and go okay what am i about to do here you know (laughs) because there's very often i don't and it usually sometimes leads to some really you know messed up stuff but yeah Yeah. (laughs) sure the first time you dive in with with a 20 foot fish you you know you, you look at it and go, hmm, you know, like, yeah, yeah, my butt. Sure. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, how many times have you gone surfing? There's dolphins in the water. I love the dolphins when they, when they join us surfing, but sometimes mm. when I'm just straddling a surfboard, you know, feet dangling and there's a huge pod coming my direction. I'm like, Oh, they're so pretty. This is so great. And then they go into the water and they're near me and I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> now. <laughs> and, um, you know, until I see them surface past me. So they went under me, you know, and then, then I feel better. But at the point when they're yeah. underwater and I don't know where they are, I get a little bit. Yeah. apprehensive i know that i know what you mean i mean Mm -hmm. i spent i don't know if you knew my past but like i spent a lot of time i was a scuba instructor and a research Mm -hmm. diver for a while and kind of really into um you know so we did like some light cave diving and i've dived with manatees and you know different animals in fiji and israel and hawaii and some other places so it it becomes less of that kind of you know oh my god what's going to happen and yeah you know more of like um you know, you get to the point where you can just kind of genuinely just sort of appreciate the beauty and really the intelligence of these animals Yeah, and know that they're, they're just don't, they just, just, you know, they just want you to stay out of their way. And as long as you do, they're usually pretty cool about letting you hang out. You know, the scary stuff is Mm -hmm. when you're surfing and you see like a a sea lion with a bite out of it swim by or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. I've only seen one thing that looked like a shark, um, but it didn't come back up so I could confirm it. But I'll tell you, I tried to confirm it from the shore. I didn't hang out. I know, <laughs> I know a lot of surfers in Costa Rica. They're like, yeah, there's a shark out here. It's cool. They don't bite the alligator, the crocs. You got to worry about them. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they say you know the, what flo- <laughs> the floating yeah. log with eyes. You got to get out when you see the floating log with eyes. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or you know what here and or more in uh, you experience this, I'm sure down in Central America, but like stuff like dengue fever and mm. chikungunya or whatever that's called, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, that's much more scary to me than like a shark for sure. Oh man. Yeah. Sharks still, I, 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 uh, I don't want to see one, you know, while I'm in the water, if I'm out of the water <laughs> and then they can be kind of cool, <laughs> but yeah. you, um, do me a favor when you're when we're done. Yeah. Google um, this woman named Ocean Ramsey. Okay. R A M S E Y. I think uh-huh. she's this you know really amazing 
young woman who free dives and like rides on the fins of great white sharks and oh my God. in like little bikinis and things. And, uh, to sort of raise awareness that, look, these animals aren't trying to kill you. You know, you just have to understand them a little bit. Wow. That's amazing. You might appreciate. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Sounds like it. Um, so you've had the experience swimming with this, these whale sharks. Uh, what other cool stuff have you encountered on your trip so far? God, you know what? Our favorite place was this little island, um, say off of the coast of Mexico, that it's a nature preserve or a reserve, whatever. And um, very few people go there because the anchorage is really poor. It's it's hard to anchor your boat there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of like what the Galapagos sound like. Uh-huh. Um, there's iguanas everywhere and the, mm-hmm. the animals, the birds, nothing's afraid of humans, you know? Right. They've never been threatened. So you, and there's thousands, I mean, many, many thousands of frigates and boobies, blue footed, mm-hmm. yellow footed yeah. boobies and mm-hmm. all these like little tropic heats. And, and, uh, you just walk through this kind of jungle. It's in a volcanic Island and there's this crater in the middle that has a lake in it. And while you're walking through this, there's literally like these giant frigates sitting on their little frigate babies, like, you know, a foot from you, you know what I mean? Wow. And, just, um, and the whole place is so alive. And then you go in the water and you free dive and it's like right in this migratory sort of channel for these whales. And mm-hmm. the whole time you're free diving, you're surrounded with whale song and, uh, there's no commercial fishing allowed. So there's just more fish and diversity than I've ever seen anywhere. The water's crystal clear. And I mean, I could go on and on, but in terms of like powerful sort of life force experiences, Mm -hmm. it was definitely this Island. And the most bitching thing of all is it's not that far. It's like a couple hour boat ride from the shore. Mm -hmm. So it gave me hope, you know, like places like this still exist and I want to go find them, you know? Yeah, definitely. So when you're sailing around, um, you guys are both scuba divers. Uh, do you mostly free dive because you don't have access to like change the air in your tanks? And I mean, like, how do you, is that right? Or what, what do you guys do? We exclusively free dive and it's less to do with like the logistics of, of scuba mm-hmm. equipment and more to do with the aesthetics of free diving. Okay. Maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like it's much less intrusive mm-hmm. and you can kind of, if you get to a certain point, uh, in your comfort in the water and sort of your ability to, to move quietly and, and with respect for the animals and, and, uh, with an awareness of sort of the current and the light and the, you know, the, the topography and stuff like that, you get to experience, you know, kind of the, the dance out there much more intimately than if you're just sort of you know, blasting through with a bunch of loud scuba and, you know, just kind of yeah. point, point B, you know? Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I never really thought of that. I haven't scuba dived and uh, I have an ear thing, but, um, you know, I guess that sort of reminds me of why I like to kayak through narrow passageways as opposed to like motorboat through, you know, the larger passageways. It's the, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's, that's a great analogy. Well, you know, on the surface, <laughs> I can't, you know, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that sounds awesome. I never, I never really considered that. Um, so with your, you know, free diving, holding your breath, does a muscular dystrophy affect your ability to free dive or how is that managed? That's a great question. You know, I don't think anyone's ever asked me anything like that. And thank you for that. Um, it makes a difference in, in a challenging way and also in a very empowering way. Um, the challenge is I can't lift my arms up Mm -hmm. very well, even underwater. So, um, 
like, you know, if, if there's a, you know, like, like I can't reach up to, you know, just, I don't know. There's certain things in free diving that sometimes require reaching up. It's just yeah. more challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, if I was going to try spear fishing or something like that, which to me is the most respectful way to fish because you're very selective and, and if you're decent at it, it's a very painless way for the fish to, to be dispatched versus tugging them in on a line with a hook, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's, and it's also a great way to kind of get into flow of what's going on down there, but I can't load the gun anymore. Um, another example would be, um, uh, like I can't lift my arm overhead, uh, if I'm surfacing through kelp or something like this to make a little clearing, clearing, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but much more so free diving empowers me. Like if you don't have to wear a wetsuit, like most of the places we are now underwater, the gravity, you know, it's, it's a buoyancy, it's not gravity, but it's the same effect as reducing gravity. Mm-hmm. So it's some of the only places where I can do some motions that I can't do anymore on land. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you have a muscle wasting disease where you sometimes feel very much so the effects of, of gravity and, um, limits limited and, you know, that sort of stuff underwater is this a tremendous sense of freedom and liberation. And it ha- it's true for able-bodied people too. It's just, I think for me, it's been an interesting, um, how much more that, that, that sense developed, uh, as I lost strength. Okay other and the end result is you move forward if that makes sense yeah but you know um some people they get paralyzed with the fear and they don't take the step you know and you, yeah. you keep taking them <laughs> yeah i i think the the paralyzed fear thing is people always worrying about future you know mm-hmm. what could happen what might happen um i try to more look at like you know what this is what's happening and it's pretty bitching mm-hmm. you know and uh and then just move forward from that perspective and this isn't you know, Ryan's discovery gift to, you know, metaphysical hippie stuff or whatever, (laughs) you know, common shit. But I think at some point when you kind of really embrace this stuff, it makes sense on a different level than when you like read in a book or, you know, hear a lecture by Deepak or something, you know, and and it, Mm -hmm. you get this and I know you do. and And it really does start reinforcing and making it personal. And and it kind of, self-perpetuates and, and, um, it feels right. You know, it just, it just feels really, really right. Uh, speaking of beginnings, um, I, re- I read on your Facebook page that you guys were invited to a destination wedding in, in Mexico and you decided to arrive <laughs> in style on your sailboat. Tell me about that experience and that race to that wedding. Yeah, it was a really good friends of ours from the boating world. Um, we're getting married and we knew that was near La Paz. And, and, uh, it was right around the time we were going to be going down there. So we just were like, yeah, right on, we'll sail to your wedding. It'd be amazing. And they had invited me, you know, they gave me the honor of officiating. So this was a really kind of meaningful thing to us. So we're, we're sailing, sailing, sailing. We get down about a two day sail South of where of La Paz and, and then just got pinned down by this gnarly wind that just never let up. And it's, it's a common thing in the Sea of Cortez for two or three days, but this was going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Really unusual weather, and and uh, we couldn't get out and get and get up to La Paz. So we're like, what are we going to do? What are we do? And finally, we're like, well, we just have to go back to Cabo and take a bus up to La Paz. And then that morning, when we're ready to do that, the weather let up just enough that we were able to make it up to this next anchorage called uh, the Bay of Dreams, you know, Bahia de Sueños, which was 
just this incredible, beautiful place and took us, uh, you know, almost 24 hours of really hard sailing to get there. And, you know, we anchored and we only could anchor for a few hours just to rest because we had to get up to La Paz for this wedding. So we looked around and we're like, oh man, bummer, but we had to move on. So we, we left and we sailed around and we got to La Paz at first light the next day, just exhausted, beat up. The boat was all smashed around from bashing into this wind and we get into the marina and, and this is the day of the rehearsal dinner. So we first thing we do after tying up the boat is get online and look up directions to this way as you know, it's near La Paz. And sure enough, it turns out it was at Bahia Sueños. You know, oh. <laughs> so we had to rent a Jeep and drive down these like dirt roads to the middle. Of the oh man, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was worth it. It was a great wedding. Yeah. That's awesome. Did they appreciate your guys' hustle and, and what you went through to get there? Um, they're pretty hardcore themselves. Uh, they've, um, you know, they've, they've sailed up and down the remote coast of Africa and mm-hmm. just wow. done some stuff. So they were, uh, yeah, they were just kind of more like laughing at it. Like, yep, that's about how it goes. That's about know? right. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, you're, you're a few months into your journey and I'd like to know if you could do it all over. Would you change anything at this point in the game? Yeah. Lessons we've learned. I think the biggest lesson that the both of us have learned is, um, you know, <laughs> ironically, right after we tell that story about making it to the wedding, but it, it, it would, aside from the wedding, the biggest thing that we've learned is that if you set a schedule and you try to, you try to follow a schedule, mm-hmm. it really screws things up. Um, from, from a kind of like a flow standpoint, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think, I think it's, if I offer any kind of advice, if go and be half idea of, but don't be married to it, you know, you know, be open to, to the fact that adventure is literally a series of, of, of sort of mini adventures that just kind of lead to somewhere. And, and, uh, you know, you know, you don't know where that's going to be. And if you try to set a schedule, you're, you're constantly fighting the flow kind of, so to speak. And, and, uh, and it just doesn't work, <laughs> you know, at right. least it's been experience. That sounds like great advice, Ryan. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I know it's been very difficult to connect with, you know, uh, the different <laughs> logistics you've had and internet connections and satellite <laughs> phones and things like that, but it's been a blast talking to you. Shannon, it's been incredible talking to you. I love you. You're an amazing, inspiring, just spark of awesomeness. Oh, and, man. Uh, Stop us some more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that happens. You know, I, hope, I hope I get to see you in person again. Yeah. Maybe uh, sail up to the Northwest or something and you can come visit. <laughs> but, uh, there you go. There you go. Well, you know what? I'd love to c- keep in touch with you. Um, I don't know when you're going to have an internet connection again, uh, you know, on, on the other side of the world, but I'd love to, to, to touch base to the next uh, time that you have availability. Yeah, uh, that would be, God, it would be an honor for yeah, sure. I'm um, sure everyone would love to hear about uh, your adventure. They can, there's a couple ways if, if you want me to throw yeah, it out. Yeah, please do. How can they okay, reach you? there's, um, Facebook, like if people are trying to reach me, mm-hmm. like just to connect, usually Facebook is the best way to do it under my name. I won't be able to access that for the next four weeks, but after that I will. Okay. Um, but in terms of um, following the adventure, I, I usually post updates on my page. So that's just, um, you know, Facebook slash Ryan Levinson. And uh, the, another one. We have a page, and it's two afloat, T-W-O, um, A-F-L-O-A-T. Mm-hmm. And there's also a blog um, on twoafloat.com. Okay, great. And, uh, 
yeah so uh hopefully people like this stuff and you know keep following the show and i'll send you a link to those books and and stuff like that and uh you're amazing thank you for the honor of being on your on your show shannon you ask great questions and right before we leave i'm i'm especially grateful for you reminding me uh or helping me remember you know very powerfully like the reason why we're doing this and and um sort of get focused in so thank you no thank you man i really appreciate all the kind words you've said um and i'm looking forward to hearing more from you you will all right (laughs) you take care bye shannon thank you Thanks for hanging with us. I hope you had a blast. If you know someone who would make a great guest on Earthy, 